0: People don't want a quarter-inch drill, they want a quarter-inch hole. So ident- identifying what the primary purpose that somebody's looking to use something for and best serving them and being able to accomplish it is more important than the product that you're creating itself. Welcome to the Disruptware Podcast. Whether you're just starting up or scaling your software business, we interview the experts with ideas and strategies
1: you can implement today. Now here's your host, Hi there, software entrepreneurs, and welcome to the Disruptware podcast. This is the show for entrepreneurs who are either just starting out or those who already have a software company and are looking for techniques and ideas for massively scaling their business. And the way we do that is to interview experts in the market who are already running their software company. And whatever level they are at, they have great content to share. And we dig deep to get factual experiences that you can put into action right now. On today's show, we're going to talk to Samuel, who's the founder of UserOnboard.com. What we normally talk about is um, SaaS startups and growth and traffic and everything. Um, But, you know, Samuel is an expert in uh, user experience, And more specifically, you know, he has this great site called useronboard.com. And, you know, what we're going to talk about specifically is all about user onboarding uh, for SaaS apps. And, you know, Samuel's written a great book called The Elements of User Onboarding, which we'll talk about a bit more uh, towards the end of the show. Um, But, you know, Samuel's agreed to come on and, and we'll talk through, you know, some factors and key elements of user experience. And, um, you know, and offer some advice to, you know, our tribe on, you know, how to improve it and, and, um, you know, how to make their SaaS app um, attractive enough to keep customers using it, which obviously reduces churn rate, um, increases conversions and everything like that. So, Samuel, tell me a bit about yourself. Where did you, how did you get into all this? You know, because obviously you've been in UX for some time, right?
0: Yep, I'm a longtime UX designer and consultant. And uh, one thing that was always really important to me was looking at the impact that a redesign would have. So instead of just handing off wireframes and wishing them the best of luck, really looking at you know what KPIs are being affected here, does the effect that we thought would happen actually happening, and to what degree. So uh, taking more of a scientific, conversion-oriented approach, it just really naturally lended itself to focusing specifically on user onboarding because it's got such a uh, high overlap already with with the conversion funnel and things like that.
1: Got it. And you know, and you started um, you know looking at already existing SaaS apps that are already successful and started breaking down their whole process, right?
0: Uh, uh yep, that's that's correct.
1: And, and which is teardowns as you call it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Basically, I was just looking to contribute, uh, you know, what I've learned. And um, I really, uh, for someone who's written a book, I actually really find writing itself to be pretty agonizing. So (laughs) instead of writing a blog or writing guest posts on other people's blogs, I thought a teardown would be a cool way to um, create content that was hopefully valuable to people, but without having to actually sit down and write out a long-form article.
1: Great. So, you know, your teardowns include companies like sort of Basecamp, Buffer um, you know, even Gmail, uh, less accounting. And I think I saw the other day, WhatsApp as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you getting any feedback from these guys? I mean, you're just going in right and signing up and going through the process and breaking down, you know, their onboarding process and sort of criticizing it, um, constructively, of course. Um, <laughs> and you getting any sort of feedback from them as a result of that?
0: Yeah, I, I am occasionally. Uh, a few times, it's led to consulting work and things along those lines, where we actually get to put some of the recommendations into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I just get, you know, a, a brief email saying, uh, you know, thanks for pointing out a couple things or things like that. Um, and also, a couple times, there there will be times where I'll, I'll critique something and say my guess is this is what they were looking to do or this is the reason that they did something. And and I, I've gotten an email or two from people saying, you know, I'm on the product team and that you know your guess was right or or your uh you know here's a little background on how we made that decision, things like that.
1: Fantastic. Um and, and you're gonna keep doing this, you know, keep doing teardowns of different products?
0: So long as people continue finding them helpful.
1: Yeah. Well I mean I certainly did. You know, it's it's you know it's really interesting just going through it because, you know, you can learn a huge amount just from looking from other examples and and the way you actually break it into the sort of the good things and the bad things and th- you know the things that you would do better um, you know, create some real takeaways for me.
0: You know, I, I do want to be really clear the, cause there is kind of the, the good and the bad. Um, I certainly wouldn't say that someone coming in without knowledge of the constraints that the design team was working with uh, specifically what they're trying to achieve. And most importantly, what their conversion rates and actual on-site behaviors are. Um, you know, for me, it's just pointing out something where from a surface perspective, uh, anecdotally me going through it, these are things that I noticed, um, But certainly not saying that they're flat out wrong or that I could, uh, you know, specifically do better in a particular way.
1: Oh, sure. I understand that. But but then but you're coming at it from, you know, a user perspective, you know, which is really valuable, obviously, to the design team, because, you know, they they don't often get that feedback. You know, they're not going to get that feedback from their customers. Um, You know, all they're going to do is look at the stats and, and quite often they'll be wondering why they're not getting you know x number of conversions or or whatever apart from split testing so i think you know what you're doing even though it's constructively you know criticizing it's obviously great valuable feedback right
0: yeah a lot of companies have commissioned their own private ones and um they've they've really found a very high roi on that so it seems to be a valuable thing. You know, one thing is once you become such an expert on your own product and your product's domain, it's really hard to unlearn that kind of thing. Mm. And even if you're using your own product on a consistent basis, you're not signing up for it over and over again on a consistent basis. So it is often a real blind spot for teams and having someone come in from the outside uh, seems to be uh, very valuable for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So from, you know, from all your experience now and looking at all these different things, you know, can we sort of just go through what what would you say are the key points um, that people overlook and, and the key things for, for people creating their apps and, and designers in particular, you know, what, what should they ensure that they focus on when building sure. a board? Sure. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess it depends on how long, how long you want me to cover yeah, that Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, you know, the, the first thing is I would say uh, it's, it's a lot of times it's an organizational issue before it even results in, in becoming a product issue. That'll, um, the way a lot of teams are structured, there's the product team, which is really focused on ongoing use, advanced use, creating creating new features, things like that. Uh, and then you have a marketing team, which is more focused on driving awareness and getting people to the site, traffic, and then maybe at the end of that is signups. So who's really in, uh, in charge of taking someone from signup to advanced use or ongoing use tends to you know not necessarily fall under the role of one team or the other. And it's kind of a Gap there. So, for you know, if, uh, your question was, what are common patterns that I find that people are you know doing wrong? It's, it's a lot of times it seems like it's set up to, to be neglected to begin with. Um, uh, dovetailing with that is a lot of times you can tell when a product has been designed, going through the design process of maybe they've made comps or prototypes or done user testing or things along those lines. But it's always been when it's when it's full of data when everything's up and running. Uh, and you can you can kind of get a feeling logging into certain applications where it's maybe the homepage is a dashboard and it's just all zeros and empty containers that nobody really looked at. How do we get people from zero to sixty? And also, how do how do we elegantly handle blank states to be helpful and guide people into filling them up with interesting things as opposed to just saying there's nothing to show you right now?
1: Got it. So you know, um, so what do most people do, or what should they do? Should they like create sort of templated data or something like that to start with?
0: Uh, I, I wouldn't specifically recommend that. There, It's done well sometimes. Like If you look at Basecamp, for example, they have a sample project that's already loaded. And if you click into the project, it says, you know, I'm a to-do list and, you know, click yeah, yeah. click my third bullet item to drag it around or, you know, mark it checked off and things like that. And it kind of walks you through how to use it itself. Um, but it doesn't, it kind of stops short of actually getting you to be successful in the real world which is really what basecamp is to you know help you facilitate managing a project as opposed to just learning an interface um, so as far as filling things up with dummy data or mock data it's not a recommendation that I typically make um, another thing that I typically don't recommend is just papering over the interface with tooltips or coach marks where you're basically saying you know you're literally pointing out the areas that are confusing just instead look at making them less confusing to begin with um, but certainly handling blank states and just really being intent on what is it like for someone to to immediately, you know, immediately after signing up, what do they expect to see? What would be most helpful? Or even a lot of times it's hard to tell what's the one thing that I should even be doing as a new user. So just getting really clear on those kind of things.
1: Because I guess the goal, you know, the, the goal is really to get the user feeling as much value as possible. In in the first few I don't know minutes or something, right?
0: In- yep there's a there's a phrase time to wow, which is basically right. kind of like or you know you might hear of like something like the aha moment, which is when somebody realizes what the product is capable of or what kind of benefit it can provide to that person. Uh, I think of time to wow as as how long it takes you to deliver on that value that they've recognized.
1: Mm, that's a good expression. I like that. You know, I think the and, and historically, obviously, everyone focused on the conversion. Um, and you know, and, and the time to wow is what, you know, builds that retention rate. You know, that's, that's what makes people stay in it. As soon as they start seeing the value and feeling that, Hey, this thing's really going to optimize my process or, or make me more money or whatever it is. Yep. Um. Then... Or, or even
0: preferably this has already made me more money. You know, when they're, mm-hmm. when they're, they're real, they're actually receiving the value that they perceived on the onset.
1: Right, right. And, you know, would you, you know, I'm looking at one of my apps now, um, and, you know, it's, it's a content marketing tool. Ah. And, you know, one of the challenges that, you know, I have is that there's quite a lot of setup involved, you know, because it's, it's designed, you know, for agencies and, and, you know, there's a certain amount of data that needs setting up first. You mm-hmm. know, do, do you advise like a sort of a wizard approach or something like that to get them going, to get them, you know, through the process, which which can be a bit laborious to start with.
0: Sure. Well, you know, my first question there would be what absolutely is is super critical for uh, getting the first run experience, that very first experience where you know they basically they haven't gotten up from their chair, they haven't closed the tab, whatever happens after sign up, immediately going into the application. How can you set them up with a quick win that will? Uh, end it in a successful state on that first visit and then tee them up for return visits and and going from there because it's kind of like I compare it to going to the gym where if you just go once you're not going to get you know enough of a workout to have a, a totally in shape body but if you go once and have a great experience and then that might provide you with the momentum to to come back and over and over form the habits that it takes to actually get that, that, uh, beach bod. So, right, yeah, yeah. um, you know, it, in that sense, I would say if, if there's a lot of things that are required upfront, is it possible to just require a couple of things to get somebody to a particular state and then set up, for example, a lifecycle email campaign to get people coming back and entering in the rest of what they need to unlock all the other capabilities of the
1: application. Right. I got it. So, you know, just, just make it sit, just, just, just focus on the, the the easiest quick win that you can straight yep. away. Just,
0: and, yeah. and especially one that's really tightly aligned with the value that the product delivers.
1: Mm. No, I understand. And in if in in some cases where you can't do that, you know, do you sort of get people, you know, uh, or do you advise people to set up some sort of account management or some sort of inside sales where someone like a real human, you know, can follow up, you know, after the sale to, to nurse them through the process?
0: Sure. It's just, it's an expensive way to solve the problem. But a lot of times I'll speak to teams and they'll say, oh, we don't have an onboarding experience. We have to call people and help them walk them through it. Or it's like, well, actually you, you are the onboarding experience in that scenario. So uh, yeah. whether you've created software to replace yourself or not, uh, ultimately the, the job of, of helping shepherd people through needs to be done uh, one way or the other. So yeah, just different ways to skin the cat.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I've got obviously that's that's the value, right? So if you, if you can do it through the app, if there's any way you can do it through the app and avoid the cost of human contact, then obviously that's gonna be the the real quick win.
0: Uh, well, it would be more economical uh, generally speaking. I think that there's a lot to be said for what um you know Rob Walling, for example, calls concierge onboarding uh, where you are walking somebody through it and you're intentionally injecting yourself or making it making yourself available at the very least, um, especially earlier on, if you're not completely sure. What those key touch points are going to be that help that will help guide somebody to getting value out of the product. It's a really great way to learn. You're basically walking them through it, seeing what what areas they're tripping up on, what areas are producing anxiety for them, and then you can take all of those li- f- those findings and feed them back into the
1: product. Okay, so you know, just looking at teams in general, you know, I was um I, I saw a talk not so long ago by Dave McCure who was saying that you know the the UX guy is probably one of the most important part of a team nowadays. You know, how how do you feel about that? You think that's really like that I mean, you are, obviously are a UX guy. Um mm-hmm. so you're going to say yes of course, but yeah. you know, it, are you
0: trying to butter me up here? Yep. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> But, you know, um, would you say it's like it's it's the essential thing nowadays to to any app? Well, you know,
0: there's a uh, I, I think the user experience and a focus on that is really important. Um, I actually would say you know the only caveat to that is if there is one person who is the quote UX guy um, and the rest of the team or the rest of the company doesn't have doesn't really give give much of a crap about the user experience or about the customer experience. That to me is a is a actually a sign of danger where user experience is really not something to be siloed off or tacked on or stapled on afterwards. It's really something that when it's really done well, the entire company is living and breathing it. So um, that would be that would be the one caveat. But yes, I do think it's uh, extremely important.
1: And, you know, for people who are kind of new to this um, and who, who are like UI, I guess, designers who want to get more into understanding, you know, how to build great experiences. What, what would you say they should look and read and, and um, learn from?
0: Hmm. Like, what resources would I recommend? Just like for books or podcasts or things yeah, like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, to to understand someone's user process is it, kind of a bit different from a graphical design, right? They're they're, they're two almost separate things to a certain sure. extent, you know. And, and and understanding that world, you know, you must have a certain sort of mindset to to get in that world and and really master it. Um. You know. And so I'm wondering, like, if you can uh, offer any advice to people who are looking to become you know um experts in ux you know what what should they study what should they look at
0: sure well my number one just as a general rule of thumb um is my recommendation if i were to boil user experience down to a single thing it would just be to create a website that behaves as you would if if you were interac- interacting with that person instead so that requires taking an empathetic approach uh, it also really requires you to understand the people that you're serving and understanding what they're looking to accomplish, so you can uh, best tee them up for a pleasant and successful experience. Um, so that's my general my general recommendation. You can kind of you know spread that out and and look and um, there are a lot of different areas that you can refer to. A lot of the most helpful books that I've read on user experience aren't actually specifically about user experience. They're more about psychology or um, you know, product design, uh, industrial design, things along those lines. Um, there are certainly people that I really, really look up to as well. I, I could name some names if that would be helpful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what I'm looking for, really. I mean, the, the psychology side, you know, really understanding what's behind the design or what, what should be behind the design.
0: Sure. So Ryan Singer, uh, product designer at Basecamp, uh, I guess now it's now called Basecamp. Um, turned me on to two things oh, through just following him on Twitter that really really influenced my thinking one is called jobs to be done which uh do you is, do you think your audience is familiar with that or is that something you're familiar with uh,
1: not not specifically no
0: okay uh, the general gist let's see if i can uh, pack it all into a mm. one liner here um, the general gist is that people buy things because they're looking to to fulfill a particular need and and they're almost hiring it in the way that you would hire a person to do something for you so instead, of, there's kind of a saying like people don't want a quarter-inch drill, they want a quarter-inch hole. So ident- identifying what the primary purpose that somebody's looking to use something for and best serving them and being able to accomplish it is more important than the product that you're creating itself. The, the One follows the other. You're, you're integrating around the job that somebody's looking to accomplish in that sense. Um, that's a very, very, very brief overview, but that's the, the general notion there. Um, and Clayton Christensen, for example, uh, is the person who's, who's most uh, known for promoting that. Um, and there's also JTBD.org, I believe, um, which has some great interviews on or uh, material on how to get to the bottom of what people really are trying to accomplish and what their job to be done is when they're quote unquote hiring your, your application or your product. Um. So that's one thing I'd really recommend looking into, and another one is uh, the work of Kathy Sierra. Um, she has put out. Uh, she had a business of software presentation from two thousand nine that just completely blew me away and has really, really informed my entire approach.
1: So Kathy Sierra from Business of Software, okay. Uh, yep. Uh,
0: two thousand nine. You can if you do a search for Kathy Sierra, BOS two thousand nine. I'm sure it would come right up.
1: Got it, but uh, but why why specifically? You know, what was it in a presentation that sort of ignited that?
0: Yeah, it, very similar actually to jobs to be done. Um, that looking at why do people love products? How can you create a really highly engaged user? Because with SaaS especially, it's not like something where you're selling you know on premises uh, ten thousand dollar enterprise deal. And you can walk away, and if they don't like it or if they don't use it, then you get to keep all the money. That you need to continue delivering value and upping the the ante month after month to retain them month after month. And so, looking at how can you reverse engineer a really predictable and reliable way to help uh, to have people staying on as customers, and uh, you know, looking at what are the the best drivers there? Of do they love your company, or do they love your support, or do they love your product that? really those are are incidental to them really just loving themselves. And the reason that people are motivated to do things and continue doing things is because their lives are better because of it. And so integrating your entire product and business around making people better in one specific way uh, and and then letting the product follow that as opposed to creating a product and then trying to find people who are willing to to buy it um is to me a subtle but revolutionary difference in in perspective
1: yeah, no, I get that so job to be done and in Catyero's talk so but but f- focusing on the end game so really just drilling down and focusing what the user's trying to achieve Yep. um rather than the software itself and trying to solve that
0: and that goes you know it's it's like a like a what a fractal, I guess, where you can zoom uh, in the grandest scale. It's what are they looking to achieve? How are, their, how are you improving their life station? All the way down to what are you going to use for uh, button copy just to get a really clear idea of what's going to resonate with them? What are they looking to accomplish in that micro moment? And then everywhere in between.
1: That's fantastic. Uh, and do you cover, so, you know, coming, coming to your book, you know, the elements of user onboarding, What what are the key things that you focus on? you know, in that book?
0: Sure. Well, um, basically looking at that trajectory that we, that we were just covering of Mm. how do you make somebody better in the grandest scheme of, of things? Um, and looking at what is that, uh, growth path for that person where they're going from the lame, uh, frustrated version of themselves to the awesome, very satisfied, successful version of themselves. And how can you once again, I'm, using, I'm kind of using the same words over and over, but integrate your entire product experience around generating that growth in that person um, from the very beginning to the end and, and seeing where are things dropping off, how can you get people back onto the right road or on the right track, uh, um, going from, from end to end. One, one thing that uh, was pretty surprising to me after starting writing the book is that I think a lot of people consider user onboarding to be a wizard, uh, like you mentioned, or, or you know a tooltip. Tour uh, where people kind of click through and and then you know are dumped into the application and I really genuinely believe that onboarding my definition of onboarding is increasing the likelihood that people are successful when adopting your product Um, and that starts much longer way earlier than before they even sign up because if somebody's signing up for something thinking that it's uh, banking software and it's really accounting software um, or tax software. Uh, there's no wizard that's going to save people from from that misperception. or They're already oriented in the wrong direction. So it's not an interface problem, it's a communication problem, and like an inter- interrelational problem in that sense. So getting really, really specific on priming people for success before they even sign up so that they know what's going to be happening, and then also setting things up to deliver on that success, not even before or even after they've already gone through the process of setting it up. It's not really about activation activating features as much as it is about finding that value that that you specifically provide. So it happens long after sign up and, and hopefully starts long before.
1: Yeah, no, I got I get that. You know, and I think, you know, I, I am one of those, I hold my hand up, you know, naively. I, I always thought onboarding is, you know, literally, you know, once my credit card goes in, then it's how do I get up and running. You know, and so in my mind, it was all wizards and and tool tips and all that. And so you've really opened my eyes into into the fact that it's it's a lot deeper than that. You know, and just focusing on continually getting that, uh, I guess as you said, the first wow and, and delivering the value and sort of focusing on what the customer's end goal is uh, all the way through the process. And, and as you just said a minute ago, you know, from the very start, even before they sign up.
0: Yeah, and one thing that I think is really crucially um, under, under, underpaid attention to, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's a better word than that, but yeah, no, it is, it's also getting people to come back, that they're really not fully onboarded until they're a successful user. Who you know, One metric is return visits and frequency of use, but one thing that I pay more attention to, because like, for example, um, if I need to find a, a place to eat, I'll turn to Yelp. So I would consider myself fully onboarded on Yelp because they're the first thing that I think of, basically the only thing I think of if I'm looking for a restaurant in a different city or a new restaurant in my own city. But at the same time, I don't go there once a week or multiple times a week or necessarily even multiple times a month. The the real question there is, when I'm in that situation, what's the thing that I consistently turn to? What owns that space for me? Um, and so, in that case, it's Yelp, and that's what you really look for with onboarding. That they're not just having a surface ex- experience and then going away, um, but they're they're fully engaged with you when when they have that job that they need to be done.
1: And 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 it becomes habit forming.
0: Yep, big time.
1: Yeah, got it. Um, and so. You know, your your book, what I've noticed, is, you know, your your it's not just a book, is it? You have like a number of different packages um, and uh, so you, you include some like checklists uh, and things like that. Can you just run through that for me? You know, what else do you sort of include in your package?
0: Sure. Well, I uh, recorded an audiobook version just because I thought that uh, people who would be busy would want to be able to work while while doing it and consider it a time saver in that sense. So that's one thing that's included. The two big ticket items that I really have found very even valuable just for myself um, were the interviews where I spoke to some really influential people, some very or even more than influential, they were um, very the expert level, very smart people uh, is what I meant to say, um, where Keaton Shaw, uh, uh, Patrick McKenzie, uh uh, that, Jeff Vincent from a few others that I, I'm unfortunately not remembering off the top of my head here. Oh, Josh Elman for sure. And, and um, a lot Dunn of those interviews and, were were yep. really really helpful for me getting a, a complete picture of what onboarding is. Uh, also, some you know individual tips and tricks for how to approach it from a design perspective or a conversion optimization perspective. So the interviews were were really really big there. Um, and then another thing that I offer are uh, video tours where I personally walk people through what it's like to sign up for base camp and pointing out specifically what base camp is, is attempting to do or what they're doing well and uh, you know, how you could relate that back to your own application. So I have a, a video tour for base camp as well as Vimeo.
1: Fantastic, That's really, really good. So, um, and for, you know, anyone, so it's a lot of my tribe are also bootstrapping, you know, so they're, they don't have like big teams or necessarily, you know, lots of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so they they might be looking for someone to help them with um, their UX and, and and things like that, and, and and obviously there's your services. But you know what what kind of things should someone if they're recruiting someone to to handle that? What sort of questions should they be asking? How do they know what, what's a good UX guy and what isn't? Because I I think there's a good there's a good population of people now who might be graphic designers who are now relabeling themselves, you know, as user experience people. Okay, um, and so you know, how how do you differentiate? What sort of questions should someone ask when interviewing someone like that?
0: Sure. Uh, so one thing that that came to mind. Uh, one person in the interview package that I neglected to mention on the first first pass there, uh, Brendan Dunn, mm. is uh, very much a bootstrapper and is one of the smartest onboarding uh, thinkers that that I've gotten a chance to speak to. So he he is intimately aware of what it's like to deal with those kind of resource constraints. He's a single founder. Uh, doesn't even work on his product full time, um, but his onboarding approach and design is is very very high level, so or uh, very high quality. So uh, that that was one of my favorite interviews. And if you are bootstrapping, that's one that I really recommend checking out. Uh, but specifically to your question, you were saying, how do how do you evaluate a uh, a contractor?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, if if US you're Designer? exactly if you're hiring a freelancer um, or even permanent, I mean, you know, how how do you tell who's like a really good UX guy to who's just a UI graphic designer.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's tricky. Mm. Uh, you know, for me, that's why I, I asked I, the question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have no, I, am a terrible graphic designer, so that's never been a problem for me. Right. I've always had to kind of stand on my own merits as a user experience designer. Just, you know, what, what I guess what you might call quote unquote pure user experience or sure. things like that. Um, my recommendation would be specifically if you're looking to suss out who's someone that, is leans a lot more towards ux design than graphic or visual design. Um, one thing I would really look for is experience in conducting user research. so specifically saying when when have you uh, done user research from in the form of interviews or surveys, anything along those lines? Uh, if they don't have any experience in that, that would be a big flag to me. Um, another one would be if they haven't done any if they don't have any experience conducting a usability test where they're getting. One or more people into a room and having them go through the site and recording, you know, the areas that they run into problems and things like that. That's that's literally somebody any anybody with with a zero dollar budget could be doing that. And I actually really recommend that um, that founders or product teams do that on their own as well. That mm. in the same way we were talking about concierge onboarding and spending as much face time as possible with with actual users uh, in the moment is is a really great way to. Not only help that one individual user become more successful, but also taking what you 're learning about where they 're running into problems and spinning it into product changes that would prevent you know thousands of other people from running into that problem as well so that 's something i'd recommend doing you know not even contracting out necessarily, but that would certainly be a, a strong indicator of a good user experience designer um, and then lastly, I think that a lot of people consider design to be uh, The well, two things. Um, It's not so much about the patterns of pixels that appear on the screen um, or how uh, elegant or appealing something looks. A lot of it is what you say. So if people, if a if a UX designer doesn't at least have a strong appreciation for copywriting, um, if if not just expertise in that to begin with, that's something that would be a big flag to me as well. That if they're really just looking to solve it through changes to layout or um, you know the composition of the site or textures or things like that. Those are certainly important, but that's you know you're you're cooking with only one ingredient if that's the only one that you're you're using in that sense. Yeah. Go um. Ahead. And then the other big thing that I would recommend is looking at it, once again not so much important as an individual screen, but looking at overall workflows and how you're aligning that with people becoming. More successful in whatever they're trying to accomplish. Once again, so if you see if the if a UX designer is really focused on creating creating screens in isolation rather than identifying how five different screens would help facilitate somebody through a particular workflow, um, th- that's something that that would be a big flag as well.
1: Got it. You know, and what's um, you know, what's interesting, what I see a lot more nowadays is people trying to inject personality, you know, mm-hmm. into the app and into the onboarding process you know, so yeah. in the terminology and things like that, Hey, that's cool. And, you know, just trying to break down the barrier of, Hey, this is software into something that a bit more fuzzier.
0: Yeah. I mean, once again, it goes back to if, you know, you, as representing your business, how would you interact with someone if you were taking the place of your website? So, you know, looking at what is a, as a human, cause it's, it's, it's human computer interaction, but it's really, human to computer to human interaction. Um, one one way that I describe websites is like there are conversations with one side of it that's been pre-recorded. So well, how do you want to represent yourself? What kind of tone do you want to take? When's it appropriate to say something and when is it not? So I mean even things as simple as welcoming people to the application for the first time. It'd be really weird if you if you were operating a brick and mortar store and somebody walked in and you just got right to business. So um, you know injecting that humanity I think is really important. At the same time, it doesn't mean that you need to make everything goofy or punchy. It has to obviously be in alignment with what the user would be expecting, as far as your brand is concerned. And you also want to make sure that you're being consistent. So if your marketing site is very buttoned up, and then the onboarding experience lets it all hang out or whatever, um, that would that would be a mismatch of of what somebody would be expecting, and, and could be you know kind of a uh, make for an awkward moment.
1: Got it. Got it. You know, when talking about uh, uh,
0: just, just to round that off one other area that I really recommend looking on the, the, how human they are, are error messages that if you can, first of all, prevent error messages by, you know, making a more usable product then that's great. But assuming that things will break down um, writing something that in that moment of very, uh, it's, it's probably tense and frustrating and full of anxiety to come in and really be human uh, be apologetic as opposed to accusatory. Um, that's something that I, I, I think is a great area of opportunity for a lot of product teams.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Oops. All right. <laughs> I mean, you see it all the time now, right? Um, oops, something went wrong. Um, you know, and, and talk just going back a step, you know, when you were talking about user testing, um, it brought mm-hmm. back memories of, um, you know, in my background, um, I, I was a CTO of a big SaaS uh, corporate type app and okay. um we were selling into nike and in europe and and one of the things they did they did user testing on the app and the way they used to do it is they would have the users um in it sort of a test suite as it were mm-hmm. and um being nike like
0: two-way mirror and
1: you, things like that yeah and their cameras and stuff like that recording what they were doing mm-hmm. um but being a being a sports company the the way they did it is they had yellow cards and red cards, you know, like in soccer, uh-huh, so basically if you had like if if something was like really you know objectionable, then you got a yellow card and if if there was something if they found another one you got another yellow card, and obviously then you get a red card uh-huh. and, that, and that the, sort of,
0: the test users would hand those out
1: yeah, yeah, they'd literally hold them up, so if they hit something like which was really objectionable, they'd hold up a yellow card right.
0: Oh, that's yeah. awesome. And that's a they That would make their such a great it. easy way to record all that as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Oh um, I
0: hadn't I've never even heard of that. That's that's a really cool approach.
1: Yeah, it was it was good fun at the time. Thank thankfully we we escaped it, you know, and we got through that process. So.
0: Right.
1: But um but yeah, that's cool. So um, you know, it's been a really great chatting to you. We've come to the end of the interview, really, and and um I think uh, you've recently launched your book and um it looks like a fantastic package and I think the interview's would especially be really, really valuable and interesting um, to people creating their, um, you know, especially bootstrapping their apps. What, um, any parting thoughts, you know, on people um, to help them, you know, and guide them into, you know, ensuring their onboarding process is as slick as possible?
0: Sure. Um, I think that the the two, you know, easiest, uh, most tactical recommendations would be To perform usability testing whenever you possibly can, or just to maintain that sort of presence. So, looking at it's—it's so easy to forget that that this crucial moment of getting people to actually sign up and 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 have a positive first experience. I mean, that it really gates them being able to be successful down the road. That if you start looking at statistics of how many people who sign up for a trial ever even come back a second time, uh, the 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 numbers can be pretty sobering. So, Mm. really looking at you know. You can't have an advanced user if they don't. You kind of have to crawl before you walk, sort of a thing. So really paying attention to that, um, ma- keeping that highly visible within the company is a, is a recommendation that I, I would really re- make. And the other thing is to maintain as much of a presence in, it in the moment as you possibly can. One thing that I think is really underused is, uh, for example, live chat, um, making that available. If you have a wizard that's walking people through a setup process, for example, setting up a live chat in there, Makes a lot of sense uh, just because not, once again, you're not only helping the the single person that that you're providing the chat assistance to, but you're learning about what really causes that confusion and anxiety in that process or where people are being hung up. And then you can make the changes that will really, you know, increase the, decrease the friction to increase the conversion rates for everybody.
1: Mm, that's interesting. And, you know, I guess from, from the, the other side of the fence, you know, from you know, if if say I'm sitting here, you know, watching users come into my system, are there any tools that you kind of recommend that um, will help people? Obviously, just monitor the metrics, but kind of get some insight into, you know, how people are experiencing your app in real time.
0: Sure, um, I I have uh, Kissmetrics and Mixpanel both come to mind. I haven't used Mixpanel very much, um, but I I I've seen enough of both of them to to uh, you know make a recommendation in that regard. Crazy egg is really helpful if you're trying to diagnose where problem areas are or if people are clicking on a picture because they think it's a link, as opposed to um, you know, it, or maybe you should make it a link if if it's if that's what people are thinking is gonna happen. There's um uh Joel Spolsky has a a definition of usability that I really like a lot, which is basically uh make things happen in the way that people expect them to. And anytime that, that you know, anytime somebody expects something to happen and what you uh and what your product does doesn't align with that, then either you need to do a better job of orienting their expectations in the right uh, direction, or just changing it so that it behaves in the way that they expect. That any any usability breakdown basically comes down to that. So um, that's one thing that I would definitely recommend there.
1: Brilliant. All right, Samuel. Look, I really appreciate you coming on on the show. Um I found it like really insightful uh talking with you and um you know it's certainly given me some ideas for for my app and I'm sure my tribe as well are really appreciating some of your insights.
0: Cool absolutely and you know I'm I'm always just an email away if you, if you or anybody listening to this has any questions I uh I love answering them.
1: Uh, and anyone listening you can go to useronboard.com and you can get uh you know a see all the teardowns that uh, that Samuel's put together and obviously um, his book there as well. And I highly recommend it. If you enjoyed the show, you can get the show notes from disruptware.com. And if you are not a subscriber and you're listening to this on the iTunes store, then please visit disruptware.com and sign up. That's it for this episode. Look out for next week's show. I'm Paul Clifford. And thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to the Disruptware podcast. Check us out on the web at disruptware.com.